Good to see you all. How's everybody? Yes. You ready? Man. Here we go. Uh, I want to add one more thing. Um, what's unique about this place, so often many places, I, I don't really know the numbers, but uh, Easter is like this huge thing. And Christmas Eve is kind of this thing. My experience here the past 25 years, Christmas Eve is like this mega thing here. Like everybody comes home, we have candles, it's big, it's this and that. And as a part of that to our community, we're really looking for um, a story. We're looking for somebody, you don't have to speak live, we can do video you, that has this authentic story about how the longing for something led you to Jesus. We, just, we want a testimony. We want someone to share what Christ has done in their life to our community that night. So if you know of somebody, you yourself, like, man, I got a story of how Christ filled that spot. Now, if right now you're like, my story's not good enough, that's the devil telling you that. So we'll tell you if your story's not good enough. <laughs> that's bad to be brutal, huh? And that was pretty good. Nah, we're not gonna do that one. I just wanted to throw that out there, maybe nudge somebody like, man, your story is there. I just want our community to hear about Jesus. All right. We're in Mark chapter six. We've been plugging along through this. Last week, if you were here or you heard the message, if not, I encourage you to listen back to it. But it was an amazing story around something we've heard a lot around Jesus feeding people. It really was a story about Jesus's compassion being activated. Now that might seem like a weird phrase to you, like isn't Jesus' compassion always activated? But he makes this reference of like, they were like a sheep without a shepherd. He brings shalom into a chaotic situation through his words and through feeding them. And the disciples are physically a part of this unbelievable event that they didn't even know was an option because the options we think are incredibly limited to the options that God has. So that leads us in today. Let me read you the next section of Mark which comes right out of Jesus feeding these 5,000 people, says this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on the other side, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it 
were healed. Last week we saw a choice. Do we rely on the familiar, go get your own food, or receive the unexpected feast of Jesus? Now, to their credit, they never knew that Jesus had this ability. They, he, they saw him heal people and cast demons out, but they didn't know he could do a whole multiplication of food. It drives me to think, hey God, what are your options? The questions I want us to consider today is this. What do you expect Jesus to be? What do you expect Jesus to say? Is it possible that Jesus has some options outside of what you've been thinking? Outside of what you've even been praying for? You see, this morning we're gonna see there's a big difference between those who were amazed and those who believed. Because those people in the gospel who were amazed were often on the outside of experiencing who Jesus really was. Let's pray and ask for God's help today. Father, thank you. We ask you for your help to understand, to expand our minds, You have made humanity in such a way that, man, there, there's brilliance in humanity. There's geniuses. There's people who have figured out so many amazing things, and yet your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are beyond our thoughts. Help us let go of the things we think and ask you what your options are in your name. Amen. Children do this really fun thing where in the middle of the night, they scream and cry and they want to be noticed in those moments. Yes, my daughter's now 23, but it seems like yesterday in the middle of the night, I would hear this, Daddy! And I'd look at my wife and I'm like, I swear she said, Mommy! <laughs> and my wife was like, no, that was pretty much a daddy. So I'd go in and there's times my little girl would be like, hey dad, I'm awake. And I'm like, dear Lord, Anna, it's two in the morning. Now that made no sense to her. She's like, I don't care if it's two in the morning, five, I'm awake. Dad, what do you want to do? I'm going to go back to bed, Anna. You need to go to sleep. Now in those moments I tried to, uh, I wasn't really reasoning with her. I was directing her to what needed to happen. But then there's other times when that scream was very, very different. You know this if you've had kids, that scream where she's afraid, something she's envisioned, a bad dream, a noise, a sense of being alone where that scream came out of her and I'd run down the hallway. And that scream deserved a different response from me. You see, because if she was really afraid and shaking and, and, and scared, it would be foolish of me to go, oh, come on, Anna, can you be scared at 6 a.m. once I've had a full night of sleep? It's only two, like, no, there's, what was needed in that moment was for me to go, hey, Anna, dad's here, dad's here. And I'd hold her and we'd say, dad's here. And in those moments, that's what she needed most. See, there's times we do need to be directed in our life like, hey, this is the way you need to go. And there's other times we just need to know presence. 
There's no doubt that some of you are here today experiencing some distress of some kind. And to you, I want you to hear right now that God is with you and that God cares about what's going on with you. Some are here today and you're feeling kind of entitled to something like, hey, God, it's time. And to you, I want to say God is with you and he cares what's going on. You see, the expectations about how the, that we have of Jesus, they've been there a long time, and we see them consistently in these stories. To the crowds, they had their expectations of Jesus. That's why they brought everybody to him. That's why they ran for miles to see him. The disciples had their expectations. That's why they told him what he should be doing. The religious leaders had their expectations. That's why they wanted to get rid of him. What are your expectations of Jesus today? Let's go back to this story. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. When he, while he dismissed the crowd and after leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. There's three times in the book of Mark where it's specifically pointed out that Jesus went away to pray. And they all happen after different kinds of events. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, he rose early to pray. And this was after a season of incredible success. It was like swelling and people wanted to see him. In fact, the disciples found him. What are you doing? People want to see you, Jesus. We got a busy day ahead of us. He went to his father after success. In Mark 14, 35, later in the story, it's during the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, when it was a season of like deep exasperation. He's about to go to the cross. And he's crying out to God saying, can't this cup pass from me? And then there's this mention in Mark 6, 45, that after the feeding, he went up to see his father. The Gospel of John talks about the ending of this feeding a little differently than Mark. Mark's like, this happened, this happened. Listen at what happens at the end of the same story in, in John. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I don't know what that would have looked like. How do you take Jesus and force him to do anything, but how do you make him a king by force? They identified this is the guy that would change the outcome of my current circumstance. We have determined that he is our answer for how we have identified our need. It's not like Jesus would have been like, oh no, they're gonna force me to do something, I better escape. I think he sent his disciples away because he didn't want to see what was about to happen. But Jesus moved on and he went to his father. You see, Jesus pursued intimate times with his father because he wanted to be the king his father wanted him to be, not the king the people wanted him to be, not what the crowd wanted him to be. He needed to get his heart realigned. See, there was absolute humanity to Jesus along with his deity, that when there was the hordes of crowds that he's like broken like a shepherd over, over, over sheep, that this is what we need. And he went to his father and he's like, remind me of what you want. Remind me 
of why I'm here. Remind me how to be faithful. Jesus was experiencing success. Jesus was experiencing the lure of power. He dealt with this already in the, in the wilderness when Satan threw it at him, but Jesus was being drawn in. There's that lure of power. It's not just being the most powerful person in your company, but there's this lure, even for people with activated compassion, that people say, you always come through for me. Man, you're the best. Like, you're the one I can count on. All of a sudden we go, yeah, I'm the one that people can count on. I come through. That is a lure to success. That is a lure to importance. I have to declare to you that was a lure for me that I've gotten caught up in before. Like, I come through for people. You've got a problem, Dale's your guy. That I lose my way. Even in those moments, Jesus goes, I need to go align my heart with the Father. And then there's those times of deep distress, our cries out to God, and we say, take this away from me. Enough is enough. This one's a little tougher because God and God calls us to places that we don't want to go, and we need to go through, go through things that we don't want to go through. But Jesus sets this model for us. Listen. There's something so essential about taking time to align your heart back to the ways of the Father. Jesus models for us is this, is the first one is to identify. Identify what's going on. Is there success? Is there distress? Is there a lure that you're important? And then we need to step away and say, God, speak to me about how you have this. And then there's this alignment to his bigger purpose, the bigger stage of life. Henry Nouwen writes this, the long painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led. One thing is clear to me, the temptation of power is the greatest when intimacy is broken. When we do not know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships with God and people, we opt for power and control. You see, intimacy with God and with other people keep us unentangled from the lies that the more control we have is better. I am so amazed that Jesus, and you're like, well, he, he was God, how hard was it to pray? He was 100% human as well. And in those moments when he started to go, oh, I'm losing my way potentially, he went to the Father. There was this time in Jesus' ministry where some people went up to him and said, Jesus, how do we pray? Right, we know this prayer. This is like the famous prayer. Like how should we go about praying Jesus? And his response was a prayer that is about aligning our hearts with God. You know, the beginning of this prayer, it goes, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer of alignment. God, where are you? You are above me. You are in heaven. God, you are holy. Holy is your name. I want to live within your kingdom. 
I want to live within your will, submitting. God, may we be aligned again. Praying so often is aligning to who the Father is and what he has for you. You see, this is why creeds are so important. They're so aligning. That's why we do the generosity creed, to align ourselves to the heart of God around certain issues. God, come in. Remind me. God in his space and us in our space. The story continues. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was still alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. But shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because, all, because they all saw him and were terrified. Other versions will say this is the fourth watch of the night, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's that time when little kids cry. What is the response? As Jesus was up on a hill aligning his heart with his father, he is like a shepherd to sheep once again as he sees his disciples in distress. They are in distress in a situation in a boat that he sent them on to a place that he sent them into. He was fully aware of what he did. And the odds were against the disciples as the wind was blowing in their face. They were trying to row upstream if you will. So Jesus engages no matter how holy he is with his father. Can you imagine that prayer time? Jesus with his father. No matter how amazing that is, his compassion gets activated again as he cares about his disciples in the place that he sent them to be. He is not a loving father who says, ah, oh, this is just good for them, but he goes to them. As we talked about last week, there's a balance of withdrawal and activity because withdrawal without action is actually apathy. And the rhythms of the way of Jesus is alternating meeting with his father in secret and serving the people in public. There's a weird phrase though, right, in this story. I don't know if you've caught it yet. There's kind of two weird phrases. One we're kind of used to at this point about Jesus. He went out to them walking on the lake. For some reason, we're like, yeah, Jesus just walks on lakes. But he was about to pass by them. Come on. If you haven't been paying attention yet, pay attention now. Jesus went for a walk on the lake and he was just going to pass by them. What is going on here? What's so amazing about the gospel writers is they just write like miracles, like no big deal. Like, yeah, Jesus is walking on the lake. And we're like, there's no like, this is how it happened. And this is that because it was just so common and there was eyewitnesses and people knew about these things that they would have refuted it if it wasn't true. So they just were kind of matter of a fact. And we can get that way too. Like, yeah, yeah, he was a walker on water. Not really sure how that happened, but it's pretty cool. But man, he was going to walk by them. He was about to pass by him. This makes me think, this is how I think. Uh, where was he going? Is this an act of uncaring Jesus? Like he's kind of like, hey, sucks to be you in that boat. <laughs> was this like sneak attack? He was kind of go around, he's like, ha ha. 
It was like one of those taps on the shoulder, you know, and then you look one way, but they're really on the other way. And they're like, that's what my players and football do every single day. But they don't realize there's a shadow. And I just look at the shadow and they're like, how do you always find out who it was? I'm like, because you're 14. <laughs> it almost sounds like he was pretending not to see them. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, we've probably all done this. I think the last time I went to Target by myself, because I just don't like going there, I saw someone in a red sweater. If you know anything about Target, people who work at Target wear red clothes, right? So I went up to this person and I'm like, hey, can I get a price check on this? They turned around and like, I don't work here. And I'm like, pick a different color when you go to Target. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I felt so bad. And I, 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 I felt like the next five aisles I went down, I kept seeing the same person. And I'm like, still don't work here. Okay. And then you start to pretend you don't even see him. I kept walking by this person over and over and over. I'm like, they go to Calvary. I just know they go to Calvary. And I'm just like, you know how you like, or when you wave to the wrong person, you're like, hey, I wasn't waving at you. And you're just pretending not to see them. That's not this. He's not like, oh my gosh, you guys caught me. There's a, I'm going to get a little, well, it's not deep. It's just a thing. There's a thing called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So many people were fluent in Greek and Hebrew. So uh, some people believe as early as 300 BC, there was a Septuagint version of the Old Testament written in Greek. And this phrase, this exact phrase, pass them by, shows up a few times in the Old Testament in Greek, the exact same phrase, which makes me go, huh, is there something more to this? Let's just read some scripture together. Back in Exodus, there's Moses and, and God, and this was after the time like Moses had gone up to Sinai and spent time with them and had given them the Ten Commandments. Moses had come down and the children of Israel had been missing slavery for some reason. And they're like, Moses is gone. Let's worship this golden calf. So they're dancing around and Moses is like, what? So he's back up with God and God's really mad. I'll pick up the conversation. Moses is talking, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness, same phrase, to pass by in front of you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord in your presence. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, this is a place near me where you can, may stand on a rock when my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then again, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name and the Lord. And he passed by in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love 
and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, sin. God passed by. I think Jesus meant to pass by, revealing all of himself more than God did with Moses to the disciples. He's showing them who he fully is, all of who God is. Moses just got a sliver of God. The disciples were getting the whole thing. One more just for fun. Job. Job is a story of a man who lost everything. Everything got taken away from him. His friends, which is a weird description because how, how much are your friends... How friendly are they if they're like, hey, curse God and die, Job? Like, what are you doing? And here's Job's response. Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion and Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. And when he passes by me, I can't see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Sit with me for a second. They longed to see God. And as God passed by them, he gave them a glimpse. I am 94.7% sure Jesus was passing by in the same context. Like, Let me show you all of me. All of me. That's what we get with Jesus. We get all that God is. And these are the pages of scripture. I feel like going in and screaming at these guys. And then I'm like, ah, how different am I? Then I'm in a boat and I'm like, there's a ghost. There's a ghost. There's a ghost walking on the water. We're doomed, we're dead. He fed 15,000, but well, we're dead. Yeah, I know earlier when he was in the boat with us, he calmed the sea. There's no one in the boat with us. What's going on? But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Jesus, this sounds like not, it's just, this isn't just an analogy, but think about this in your heart. Jesus, think about what just happened. He sent them away. Thousands of people want him to be king. The most powerful person on earth, and Jesus probably would have been a good king. He would have been a great king. He would have blessed people. That would have been an amazing king, but God's like, no, I have a bigger kingdom than that kingdom. It's temporary, bigger. So then he goes to his father in this amazing, I align myself with you, all of these things, these powerful things, and then he sees his disciples in a boat having a hard time rowing. 
They'll be okay. What does Jesus do? He doesn't stay here. He comes and walks out. He shows them everything he has, and then he gets in the boat with you. They must, in the sea, calm down. They must have gone, I hope one of them said, you know, we probably should have saw that one coming. If you're distressed today, I'm telling you, Jesus wants to get in the boat. But here's the thing. All the resources of deity were at Jesus' command. But there had to be some response from the disciples before it could be of any benefit to them. What's your response? Is there a response? For some, it's like, I got to get my heart back aligned with you. For some, it's like, I got to invite you into the boat for the first time. I need to give my life to you. As he was passing by, he was revealing to them everything. What if they just let him go by and they didn't ever engage? Jesus, this one's too big for you. Come on, we do that. I do that. Do you see the loving nature of Jesus in this? I think our wants are not big enough. They're too small. They're too temporary. In that same prayer, Jesus does say, pray for those things that matter to you now, like give us our daily bread and help us forgive each other. But he also says, pray this humbling alignment with me with your kingdom come, your will be done. So who do you expect Jesus to be for you? Who do you want him to be? There's this thing, this uncomfortable grace, allowing situations to grow us, to mature us. When you're raising kids, if you get in the way of this, you're not actually helping your kids. You need them to struggle a little bit to grow and to mature. This idea of uncomfortable grace is God's gift to us so that we learn what we need to learn. Let me tell you the truth. Sometimes aligning your heart to God hurts because you might hear some things you don't want to hear. And so you stop. That's letting the fullness of Jesus just walk by instead of giving in the boat. A little bit ago, I was called by a, a, a church. Uh, the, the leadership team there was um, having a real struggle with their pastor. Their pastor was super gifted. And I say that, but that usually what we means is he was a good speaker. And um, church was growing. But he was really mean. He was mean to his staff. Uh, the way they described him was he was not aware of how he came across. And I'm like... Oh, so they said, can you come talk to him? Just kind of a weird thing. I'm like, have you talked to him? Uh, we've tried. So I was doing some reading and uh, kind of reached out to somebody who deals with these kinds of things. And, and so I reached out to this pastor and he was not super excited that I was involved at all. And he was not super excited of uh, his elder board calling me. He wasn't excited about any of this. His answer was, I'm just gonna fire everybody and start over. I'm like, that's why we need to talk. I said, can I just ask you one question? Will you, one thing will you be willing to do? 
He goes, you promised just one thing. Well, I guess, okay, two things. <laughs> Will you just ask people, how are you experiencing me? And the second thing is, then just listen to them. Because this isn't about a jury or trial. This was just about an act of humility. I just wanted to see if he could actually humble himself to align himself to the feedback. His staff was scared to death. They were fearful for their jobs. So I guess I asked for a third thing. You have to promise you don't fire anybody because of what they say to you. But really it was just one thing and then point B and C. And D, that's just kind of how I am. <laughs> Their responses said things like, he's gifted, talented, angry, but he's funny, terrifying, defensive, narcissistic, not like Jesus. The stuff came out. At that point, that guy had a choice. Do I transform or do I harden? Am I open to aligning myself to something different or do I just shut down? You see, in these moments, the mirror comes up. And when the mirror is held up by God or other people, what is the alignment that takes place? He now had a journey, he had a choice. I'm telling you, everything within that guy just wanted to shut down and push people away until his wife said, they're not all wrong. Aligning ourselves hurts sometimes. Aligning ourselves to God hurts sometimes, not because he's painful, but because we have to let go of the things that are killing us. And in these moments, the ones that are so hard, he wants you to hear this. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Because Jesus shows that he's not just the provider of bread. He is the bread. He's not just good in his behavior. He is holy in all of his nature. You see, if Jesus was just a good teacher, my friends, we can dabble with him, right? We can consider a few things. But if he's God, he deserves everything. Our identity, our purpose. You see, Jesus keeps going to the Father, asking for the Father's heart. So he would be the king that was needed, not the king people wanted. Finally, the, I think it's not that Jesus could just walk on water that proved he was God or proved that he was good or proved that he was holy. It wasn't the feeding of the 5,000 in my mind that proved it, though those were amazing things. The one that sinks into me, the walk that he took, was the slow, painful walk of carrying his cross as an innocent man with the crowds mocking him and yelling at him. And he carried it until he couldn't carry it anymore, but he kept going that walk of shame to his death for me. 
the fact that he said, okay, I'm going there for you. That's his deity. That's his love. That's him climbing in the boat with you. That's our God. That's our Jesus showing all of himself. And as we know, he didn't only die, but he rose again. This is the cruciformity of Jesus, the slow, purposeful, deliberate walk. He is able to do that, I think, by the end of his life because he kept aligning himself with the Father's heart for us. (laughs) Do we get that? Jesus made that walk because he fully aligned himself to the Father's heart for us. What's your response to that? So we don't have to wait till Wednesday or whatever day of the week. Let's start listening to God now as we do. Let's take a moment. I invite you to close your eyes and just listen to him for a few moments. Some of you today might be deep in the storm. I know, I know some of you are because you've told me. I want you to envision right now Jesus walking out on the water to you in your storm. See Jesus reveal everything about him to you. Invite Jesus into your boat. Man, Jesus, will you come in my boat with me? Some of you might be up in the middle of the night worrying about things, concerned about things. He's coming, he's here, he's there with you. Listen to Jesus' words again. They cried out because they were terrified and immediately he spoke to them and said, here it is, take courage. Whatever it is you have in your life right now, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. Just let him into your boat. Let him minister to you right now. This week, man, I had a pity party this week. And I was mad, frustrated. But I'd already written this sermon, so I figured I'd try it. I said, God, align my heart with how you see this. And he pulled me to a place of just, God, Dale, I've got it. Let it go. You do what you're called to do. So my family, I ask you to do the same. Whatever it is, align your heart the heart of God. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you in your name. Amen. I invite you just to read this benediction just based on some words in Psalm 138. Read this with me. I can go with confidence into the days ahead by trusting in God's unfailing love and faithfulness. God will not abandon us, 
for we are the work of his hands, his own creation, and his love endures forever. So let's go in joy to love and serve our Lord. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week of friends with family, uh, however God is leading you this week. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you.